So welcome everyone to another episode of The Creative Minds. So joining me here today is Jason Gutman. So uh, I, can you just start off by introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Jason Gutman. I'm a, a wellness coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certified by the Mayo Clinic in the United States. And uh, what wellness coaching is for me, because it's kind of a broad term that means different things to different people, is uh, combining my skills as a certified nutritionist and certified exercise physiologist with the skills I learned as a wellness in my wellness coach training, which are really in the psychology of behavior change and habit formation. Um, so what I do as a wellness coach is really um, take people beyond information and knowledge about nutrition and exercise and other aspects of self-care and really get into the deep work of helping them make it part of their lifestyle. How are you different than anyone else? Yeah, well, you know, so um, really a dietitian nutritionist is, is focused on, on eating well and a personal trainer or fitness coach is focused on exercising well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I incorporate all of that as well as what we know to be our other needs for well-being, which include sleep and rest, um, and then, you know, very neatly when you get into the science of well-being include, uh, if we were to state it from sort of the, what it's not, it's not stress, right? So we look at stress reduction, but then when you start at looking at reducing stress in your life, what you quickly run into is that usually means in the more positive sense, doing really fulfilling work and having really fulfilling relationships, um, and then it opens Pandora's box and you start to see what are my other needs that help me feel good. And that's things like spending time in nature, um, can be a spiritual practice, um, these kind of things. And what's really fascinating at, at this point in 2020 is all of those things that would be considered sort of um, quote unquote uh, emotional or mental uh, really overlap and um, affect what we could call our quote unquote physical well-being. Mm-hmm. Amazing. And that's something that's really going on, especially with the COVID, is people are spending so much of their time and energy at home and not really interacting with people and not even going out. Uh, and that really caused people to have a lot of like emotional eating habits. So can you tell us a bit more about what causes emotional eating? What is emotional eating? Sure, sure. Well, and it's interesting that you, you lead in with... Um the pandemic, right? Because the pandemic is um, sort of exacerbating what already was uh, an emotional eating sort of culture. Um, And, you know, a good way to look at emotional eating is to first change what we call it, right? Because um, Mm -hmm. that what helps us helps us hone in on it. So um, one term I like is compensatory eating. So that means that it's eating that is compensating for another unmet need. Another thing, uh, another way to, to, to describe it might be comfort eating um, because it's something we're eating not for, um, not to satisfy hunger and not to nourish our bodies, but to comfort ourselves. Hmm. Um, and, you know, as you and I have talked about a little bit, one really important framework to start working with emotional eating or how, whatever we want to call it is, um, is to see that... Uh, that that's a positive step, that, that a person uh, eating when they are uh, having 
when they are uncomfortable in some other way, and let me do a quick parenthesis, the sort of big four in emotional eating, compensatory eating, comfort eating are bored, stressed, lonely, tired. You know, that's a, that's a, when I say that phrase at, at talks and workshops, people are like, oh yeah, I, I eat when I'm bored or oh yeah, I eat when I'm yeah. stressed. Uh, you know, it often, it often resonates um, one or, or more of those. Um, so that's a good way to, to look at emotional eating is that we mm -hmm. have needs as humans. Um, we have needs for sleep and rest. We have needs for um, doing work that's meaningful, enjoyable, uh, makes us enough money, doesn't use up all our time. Uh, we certainly have needs for fulfilling relationships of various kinds. Mm -hmm. And when those needs are unmet, mm -hmm. um, I think this is a good intermediate step to describe. So I could say when those needs aren't met, we, we, um, we go to something to compensate or to comfort ourselves. Yeah. There's, a neat, there's a neat middle step there that's helpful for people to know is the reward chemicals in our brain and body diminish. And reward chemicals, uh, a lot of people have heard of. These are uh, chemicals like dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, vasopressin, endorphins those are the sort of the biggest ones and in the environment we evolved in when we met our needs we would keep these levels of chemicals fairly high in our brain and our body and to, to make that uh, very simple and less science sounding yeah. that would feel that would feel good yeah uh, it, 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 those chemicals feel good um, they reward the behaviors that are essential to our survival um, and therefore help us, uh, they, we, they reward us by having us feel good. Mm -hmm. When we're not meeting our needs, those levels of those chemicals wane and we feel bad. Um, yeah. to, to talk about this, like if it's a children's book, right? Like to yeah. talk about it really simple, we feel bad. And then so it's absolutely in our nature to do something to get those chemicals back up. And I like to say food does the job. Food will boost the levels of our reward chemicals. Mm -hmm. Then junk food or what we could call fake food or processed food, mm -hmm. it gets the levels of those chemicals up even faster than real food because it's more processed. It's broken down into sugar more quickly. Mm -hmm. And then really sugary food, food that contains processed sugar, gets those levels up even faster. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why when a person is struggling um, with an unmet need and low levels of reward chemicals, um, they don't usually go to having some fish and some broccoli. Mm -hmm. um, that does boost the levels of our reward chemicals, but sort of slowly and gradually. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas having some candy boosts it quickly and sharply. Mm -hmm. um, that's so. interesting that you said sugar, but I know other people who tend to go to salty stuff or go to fat i think uh there's an overlap so um one aspect that's uh that's straightforwardly there with all of those foods although um fat rich foods protein rich foods um salty foods are not going to um boost our level of reward chemicals as quickly as sugary foods mm -hmm. uh, they provide us with something uh very interesting which is yeah. pleasure um, and What's often missing in that unmet need state, mm -hmm. in you know, to talk about this in a less scientific way, is something like pleasure. 
enjoyment, mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. um, and if, we're, if at that given time in our life, that day, that week, whatever it is, it's hard to be getting enjoyment, fun, pleasure out of um, our work or our relationships, our hobbies. Um, chips works as kind of like substitute. Yeah. We are tending to have emotions that, where we feel unfulfilled, right? Mm. And mm. having those sugary or high fat or salty foods help us feel a bit better. So does that mean they they are adding value to us and that, that, that means they're not bad if we use them and not get addicted to them? Sure, you're right. I think it's, um, it's a gray area. And um, we get, this is a fun, it's fun to play with words like um, an adaptive behavior or a maladaptive behavior. So um, if we are feeling unfulfilled in, in some way um, and we do something to feel a little bit more comforted, Mm -hmm. That's certainly adaptive, right? We, we, mm -hmm. feel, we, we, we feel better. Um, where we could look at an action or behavior, behavior slipping from adaptive to maladaptive mm -hmm. is, is if it's starting to cause a problem. Um, so, for example, if a person eating um, lots of sugary food is also being told by their physician that their, um, their blood sugar levels are rising and they're on the way to toward type 2 diabetes, mm -hmm. then although eating the sugary food is a way to comfort some stress or some boredom, mm -hmm. um, it's also contributing to mm -hmm. uh, uh, a sickness state, mm -hmm. then it's become maladaptive. And that's usually when a person wants to, um, wants to change it and, and, and wants, to, yeah. wants, to over, wants to overcome it. Amazing. And can you say that fruits do the same effect because fruits have sugar in them dried fruits dates figs whatever it is um is would you suggest that this is an, a healthier alternative or does do they even rise the sugar level and possibly can cause diabetes yeah you know they definitely uh can to some degree however mm -hmm. um what fruit has that processed food or fake food doesn't have uh, are a couple things it mm -hmm. has a whole bunch of fiber Mm -hmm. um, and fiber slows digestion. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore, you know, the, the epitome of um, a rapid rise in blood sugar is something like having drinking soda. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when we see like kids who drink soda get full, full, full of energy and then, and then they crash. Mm -hmm. um, when we have fruit, that fiber slows that digestion down. Um, mm -hmm. In addition, in terms of our overall well-being, fruit has loads of what we call micronutrients. So that's mm -hmm. vitamins, minerals, and other micronutrients. So that's something that um, soda and candy don't have. Mm -hmm. um, I'll add that we often eat fruit with other foods. For example, one of my favorite snacks is to uh, take an apple or a pear and take the core out and fill it with uh, almond butter or cashew butter. Yeah. So now you're having a snack that is, um, the apple is largely carbohydrate and largely sugar, but you're also adding some protein and fat from the nut butter. Mm -hmm. And you then digest that not as something that is pure sugar, but as something that is, that is mixed mm -hmm. um, of, of, the different, of the different macronutrients. So, um, yeah, that's a tricky area. I don't, I don't, um, 
first of all, I generally don't play the game of um, like good and bad foods. Yeah. Uh, but but even in that direction, I tend to look at all um, whole natural real foods. You know, essentially things that we would find in nature. Yeah. As nourishing, and um, this is you know I, this is a a neat scientific study. There's a uh, there's a people that live uh, off of Papua New Guinea on a small island called Kitava. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're like, like a lot of people who live on islands, they're relatively insular. They haven't really um, integrated their culture with Western culture. Yeah. And um, they eat basically four foods. I need to try to remember what they are because they're what exists on their island. They eat coconuts that grow there naturally. They eat fish. Um, because they're, you know, they're island people. Um, they grow uh, tubers, which are foods like sweet potatoes, yams. Um, what am I missing? Um, coconuts, fruit. Did I say, no, I think I forgot to say fruit. They, they fruit coconuts, yeah. fish, tubers, and, and all the sort of tropical fruit that, that is nat you know, native to their region. And so what I find fascinating about them as a group of people and their and sort of the exploration of the way they eat is they eat all of the forbidden foods from the mindset of um, Western nutrition science, right? Because coconuts are uh, almost 100% almost fat and most of the fat is saturated fat and they eat fruit and tubers, which are almost 100% carbohydrate and in the fruit, it's almost 100% sugar. And they eat fish, which is an animal food. And that's, you know, so that's another, those are all the foods that are yeah. sort of castigated, right? Yeah. But what they're doing is um, they're eating, it's all whole natural real food. It's all unprocessed. Yeah. Um, and I think the mistake we make in Western nutrition science is we, we think we're smarter than nature and so we play the games of should you eat more carbohydrate, should you eat more fat? If you eat fat, should you eat monounsaturated fat or polyunsaturated fat or saturated fat? If you eat carbohydrate, should you eat starch or should you eat sugar? Yeah. And to me, if those um, nutrients are existing in real food, they're nourishing. Um, yeah. a, a, a sort of fun, sarcastic, slightly sarcastic way of saying this is, Imagine you're walking through a forest or a jungle and you come upon um, a coconut tree and then you come upon a pear tree, you know, a hundred feet away. Is it possible that nature designed it such that one of those trees is, is full of fruit that is completely nourishing for human beings and one of those trees is full of fruit that is completely toxic to human beings? <laughs> yeah. That would seem like a, like a strange... Um, a strange uh, fact to me. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's very interesting that you said that. And you also mentioned, I know this is kind of a bit more towards the nutrition, but you mentioned that when you're having, let's say an apple, you're adding the, the butter there, the almond butter to kind of break the sugar in it. But what is your intake about uh, having, um, like let's say fruit juice in the morning or smoothies because that this is a huge thing that's going on and many people are saying this is the right way to go with it what is your intake on that so i'm glad you circled back to that because earlier you brought up dried fruit and so that's um you know when you dry fruit you're taking out 
it's a it's a form of processing, right? It's minimal processing, mm -hmm. but you're removing the water. So something you know, dried fruit like raisins or dried dates or dried figs um, certainly have more of a response in our body, um, like processed sugar. Mm. Um, juice, um, especially the kind you would buy in the store, um, already processed, especially some of the the more processed stuff. At, well, some of the some of the juice in the store would actually have sugar added to it. Yeah. Uh, it would have processed sugar added to it. Um, but when even making your own juice, it is a good question because um, if we're using the litmus test that we just want to err toward whole natural real food and away from processed refined food, um, when you make a juice in a juicer, there's uh, there's waste, right? There's all that all that pulp goes to another goes to another yeah. place and you and you don't drink it. So yeah. um, that's becoming um, in the direction of, of more of a processed food. Um, whereas, but something like a smoothie made in a blender where nothing is removed, yeah. everything is intact, you know, to me that's in the direction more of, um, of a whole food. Um, okay. Okay, so because you know, the fiber is staying in and not being removed. The fiber, the, all the fiber is, is staying in. And then, you know, in a smoothie, you have the opportunity, just like with my apple or pear snack. Yeah to add um, nut butter or um, eggs or protein powder or flax seeds or, you know, you have the opportunity to add protein rich and fat rich foods to mm -hmm. the smoothie and make it more of a mixed meal instead of a pure carbohydrate or pure sugar kind of meal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You also you, have the opportunity yeah. to add a handful of spinach or kale and, yeah. and you know, get vegetables and, and that kind of thing in there. That's amazing. And uh, do you, or at least do you suggest for people who are going into that diet to at least add a source of protein other than just the sugar you raised? You know, it's funny. Um, in, if I were to keep my certified nutritionist hat on and, and really think about nutrition, I would say it's a good guideline uh, to avoid having a meal or a snack that is 100% carbohydrate. Um, even if that carbohydrate is real food, like an apple or a sweet potato. Um, you know, when I have sweet potato, I will often put, um, put some butter on it. Um, like I said, when I have an apple, I'll put some almond butter on it. Um, that said, if I go really further into um, thinking about humans as animals and more you know, natural creatures, I don't think it's, it would be too unusual for us to, um, you know, find an apple, find a banana, um, find an orange and just, you know, eat it. Um, and uh, I think some of the fear, and you know, and I think it's very important to talk about uh, what I would call like, not just fear, but almost like neuroticism around food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, food is important to our well-being. But if, um, if our approach to food becomes stressful, yeah. um, that is detrimental to our well-being. So um, I think it's, it's important to be um, informed about basic nutrition, um, but it's equally important to not go too far um, and, um, and, and have, have eating become stressful or um, neurotic. Um, this, you know, and, and, and maybe some people listening are thinking, well, 
I'm not even close to that. So I don't, I need to be more concerned about making sure I'm doing, doing things right. Uh, at least here in the States, um, we have a, we have an expression here, uh, go big or go home. Right. Yeah. And so I, um, this is my observation of eating behaviors and exercise behaviors in the United States. And I've um, personally experienced this in my life is that, you know, we have a lot of people that sort of don't, aren't thoughtful at all at that point in their life. They're, they're not careful about what they're putting in their bodies at all. And then we have the other side of the bell curve um, where people are following extremely rigid diets. Um, and this is, this is not an insignificant problem, at least here. Uh, there's a, I think he's a physician. He might be a therapist, but I think he's a physician. I'm not gonna remember his name. I think his last name might be Bratman. Um, and for 20 years, he's been lobbying for a new eating disorder to be in the, that official manual of um, psychological disorders. And um, he calls it orthorexia. And he defines it as something like an excessive preoccupation with eating foods deemed to be good for us and or an excessive preoccupation with avoiding foods deemed to be uh, not good for us. And so whenever I have, um, am hearing the kind of questions you're asking me, um, I feel like it's my responsibility or if a client is asking me those kind of questions to, to answer the questions, but to also say, hey, let's not get too upset about this kind of stuff or too rigid about it because I feel like I have a responsibility to keep uh, people in general or a person who might be prone to slip sliding into that more neurotic relationship with food you know, safe from that because that's, it's a lousy place to end up. Yeah, I love that. I love that you mentioned that for sure. Um, so you talked about, let's say more, we were kind of talking about more of combining protein with foods and, and those are the details, but what about intuitive eating? Like what about us listening to our body and saying, you know what, I ate an apple, my body felt good. Um, it's okay to have it. And like, what about, what about that? Isn't this the right way to go? For sure. So, you know, that's um, when you, that's sort of the uh, antidote to, to dieting um, or to, um, and when we, because when, when we think of dieting, it has a couple of um, characteristics. You know, mm -hmm. one is that it tends to be focused on exclusion and restriction. So mm -hmm. it tends to be about, if you ask a person, hey, what, what's your, you know, what's your diet? They'll mm -hmm. say, I cut out X, I cut out Y, and I minimize Z, right? Um, and that tends to put people in a kind of an adversarial relationship with food. Food is the, is the enemy or the devil to be you know, avoided. Um, the other characteristics of diets are it's an external authority um, telling you how to eat. And that has the uh, negative consequence of uh, taking us away from ourselves and what you're calling intuitive eating. I sometimes call attuned eating is a way back uh, into toward or, or I guess into ourselves and um, We could talk about that at length, but I think a good, you know, overall very succinct summary is is really about um, In terms of amount of food, it's really about relearning uh, to feel your hunger and to feel your fullness Mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, and, uh, something I guide my clients through often. It's, um, 
it's not an overnight quick thing. If you're used to eating um, because you're following a diet or even people that haven't been mired in diet culture are sort of conditioned to eat at certain times because that's when it was lunchtime at school growing up, right? Mm. Or that's when it was dinner time in the family. And um, I certainly think that our bodies have uh, an innate intelligence and one way that manifests in our, in our, in our hunger. Mm -hmm. um, and then to your point, I think this innate intelligence also knows what foods or what combination of foods uh, are, are best for us. And there's certainly sophisticated um, testing that can help yeah. a person determine this. I'm personally, an ad as much as that could be helpful, I'm more of an advocate of tuning into oneself and paying attention. Um, yeah. Because I think that has more um, longer lasting overall um, positive impacts on our well-being. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really as simple as um, doing ongoing experiments and, yeah. and eating certain foods. And uh, I almost think of it in like three tiers. Pay attention to how you feel right away. Mm -hmm. uh, pay attention to how you feel like 30 minutes to an hour after. And then pay attention to how you feel sort of globally in a week or two weeks if, for example, you're experimenting with more meat or less meat or um, more fat or less fat or more carbohydrate or less carbohydrate. Now, going back to the topic that we first started off with, which is like yeah. you said, uh, how when we're bored or we're tired or we're lonely um, or we're under stress, then we're not really functioning at the best state. Um, so when we're in those states, despite the fact that now the world is connected, despite the fact that now we have everything that we want, we can get within seconds. Why are we stressed? Why are we, why are we a time in our lives where we are as lonely as it possibly can be for human beings? Mm, that's a powerful question. And, you know, I think the way to look at it is modern technology is creating something like a um, simulacrum of connection, not what we're really made for with connection. You know, what we're made for with connection is um, looking in each other's eyes, hearing each other's voices, um, different, you know, touch, um, all of those kind of things. Things, you know, like even right now, we're relatively connected because yeah. we can see each other and hear each other. But if we were in the same room, we would have peripheral vision. Um, I would pick up on things that I, I'm not picking up in the Zoom chat, like you might be tapping your toes if you were um, a little excited or a little nervous yeah. or you know things like that. Um, and um, so, yeah, I, I actually am convinced that we are less connected than ever. Um, I don't have the reference for this, but there, this, and this isn't from one study, but from a composite of studies in the United States, and um, most th this can be found in a book called Bowling Alone. Um, this gentleman wrote a book about how from about the 1950s or 60s, the average person in the United States had something like two and a half confidants, which he defined as, or the researchers he was referencing defined as um, people who you could share anything with. And fast forward to around 2005 or so, when I think that book was written, um, that 2.5 confidence confidants was down to something like uh, 0.8 or 0.9, you know, it was, it was less than one. Um, yeah. 
So you know, he, def he talks about this, that author um, def talks about that as a decline in, in community. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I think, it's the, I think it's to take it back to emotional eating, I think it's the biggest factor in emotional eating. So we can use that summary I have of uh, bored, stressed, lonely, tired. I think a lot of it um, in Western civilization anyway, both during and before the pandemic uh, was loneliness. And fascinatingly, mm -hmm. I'd go so far as to say, uh, I see this in clients even when they've checked the boxes that our society claims are the boxes to check to ensure that you're fulfilled in your relationships, meaning mm -hmm. a person is married and has two kids or something like this, right? Because even a, a person in the United States could be married and have two kids, um, but could live hundreds of miles away from their parents and their brothers and sisters, um, could live hundreds of miles away from the best friends they made in college, um, could spend eight or nine hours a day in a basement home office working on a computer, mm -hmm. uh, doing software engineering, uh, yeah. even, bef even before the pandemic, right? Yeah. And so in the environment we evolved in, and the environment we all, 99.6% of the time humans have been humans, we lived in bands of give or take 150 people. Mm -hmm. um, the life, the environment we evolved in was kind of like a family reunion every day. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were around our extended family and our cousins and our peer group all the time. And the activities we did like hunting or gathering food or cooking or raising children, we were doing with other people all the time. Mm -hmm. There was really no concept of um, uh, living in a, in a more um, isolated or atomized way. Mm -hmm. um, so to, you know, to bring up back to you that point that you mentioned, sometimes many, so many people like commented on a certain topic that I talked about and they talked or people sent me a message specifically saying, what if the environment that they're surrounded with is a toxic one? Isn't, mm. so wh how, what do you think on that? Yeah, well, so there, you know, there's a couple of elements there, right? Is um, we want to one impulse, and I and I see this impulse around me quite a bit with um, with other wellness coaches, with physicians, with um, public wellness professionals. Is they're working more from like the policy end to change, essentially to change environments mm -hmm. and. Uh, this has been shown to have some some effect. Um, there's you know in, in cities that are um, designed to be more walkable, for example, you have some better uh, wellness outcomes. I personally come from the space of if we're going to wait for our governments to make our environments better, we're probably going to wait a long time. Yeah. And um, I'm in my and maybe I'm biased because my work. Um, largely revolves around one-to-one -one right there with an individual looking to improve their well-being mm -hmm. and what that is entirely about is empowering them helping them to feel more empowered to meet their needs mm -hmm. so so say a client of mine finds themselves in what you're referring to as a toxic environment so say a, a work environment that is um stress, you know, very stressful in some way or certain relationships that are very stressful in some way. 
I would add a word that I think is also um, useful. You know, toxic is a good word, but I like the word um, vapid, you know, to mean empty. Because oftentimes we're in environments that are not necessarily overtly toxic, but they're just, there's nothing there. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're void of um, nourishment. To use the yeah. word nourishment beyond the idea of food, right? Yeah. And um, so really what I work to do with my clients in that perspective, because, you know, uh, to be open, what a lot of people say is, holy cow. And it's interesting because when people are coming to me with an emotional eating challenge, what they want to do is they want help um, fighting the cravings or um, uh, summoning the willpower to eat less, right? Yeah. And what that doesn't usually work because that drive to keep the reward chemicals is so high. Um, through coaching, we can often you know, identify these toxic or vapid situations. And that gives a person a chance to do something about it. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I'll, I'll admit that in a person's first reaction is often, well, that's my job. I can't just change my job. Or yeah. um, that's my wife or my husband. That's the way she or he is, right? Yeah. They're thinking in so we're with, with a very fixed mindset. And um, what I would usually do in a, in a coaching session uh, is help that person see that admittedly, they might not be able to be in a new job tomorrow or they might not be able to transform their relationship by the end of the week, but they can almost always take a step in that direction. They can take a step at finding more enjoyment in their work, finding more fulfillment in their work, making a little more money, um, or finding more harmony or intimacy or whatever is missing in their relationships. Um, mm -hmm. That's one of the quote unquote secrets of, of wellness coaching is that small steps add up to, to big steps. And mm -hmm. um, what keeps a lot of people stuck is that thinking that they need to change it all immediately. Mm -hmm. um, and I really like to help people um, with, a, with, I would ask a person in an environment like that, a very open-ended question, you know, what's something you can do this week to make that environment 5% better? Mm -hmm. And um, they will usually come up with a couple of, of ideas. And what's neat about this is they've come up with them themselves. Yeah. Um, so they have that sense of ownership. And yeah. then when, it, when they do it and it works, they have one of the best feelings a person can have, which is, I just made my life better. I, I did it. Um, to go a little technical in wellness coaching, we call that self-efficacy. This, yeah. this means the person is uh, gaining confidence in a specific task. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can have a challenging relationship with my partner or I can have a challenging relationship with a colleague and have it turn into something I wanted to have. Yeah. Um, and um, self-efficacy is extremely motivating. We love that feeling of, wow, it's working. I did it. We want more of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's how the small steps, you know, generally speaking, add up to bigger steps. Um, and you mentioned something like how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, I think that's, it's, it's a really neat, it's a really neat phenomenon and it comes up quite a bit in wellness coaching. So say the classic way this plays out in my work with clients is a person comes to improve eating habits and exercise habits. And in our early work together, they're improving eating habits and exercise habits. But what they're also doing, uh, similar to this gentleman you mentioned, is they're um, 
they're rearranging their relationship with themselves. Mm -hmm. They are starting to um, do things on their behalf. And when a person is building the muscle of doing things on their behalf, it's stronger in all ways. So it's very common that I'm six weeks, 12 weeks into working with someone and their intention was to work on eating habits and exercise habits. But as they're getting stronger at acting on their behalf, they say to themselves, why am I staying up so late? That's not doing me any good. Yeah. Um, why am I working seven days a week? That's not doing me any good. Uh, why haven't I reached out to my, um, my boss? I haven't felt like I'm doing the kind of work that I want to be doing. Um, that feels bad, almost like it used to feel bad to be eating junk food and not exercising enough. And so they yeah. take a step or, you know, um, and uh, yeah, that's fascinating. And that's where, um, you know, thinking of wellness holistically comes in. That's also where um, the idea of separation of our bodies and our hearts and our minds completely breaks down for me. Mm -hmm. um, and life as an adult human, an adult person, is about um, being aware of that which meets our needs. And I think like the greatest self-care self skill that a person can have is awareness combined with agency. Um, because then, because to your point, life changes. Um, and if you have um, a, good routine, a good routine for meal prep or you have a good routine for swimming or yoga or rock climbing, those routines are helpful. But as life changes, as a job changes or as a person becomes a parent, um, the routine isn't going to hold up so to necessarily. But self-awareness and agency are sort of like transferable skills to, uh, to different stations in life. Great, thank you. Um, so I, I don't want to take more of your time. I just want to ask the last question, which I always end up the episode with. So what, what is your definition of success? Or if not success, like what is your definition of failure? Mm. Well, I'll go with success. And it, it's something like um, getting, you know, the idealist answer would be getting to spend all of my time doing that which I find enjoyable and meaningful. The less idealist answer would be spending as much of my time as possible doing that which I find enjoyable and meaningful. And what I mean by that as a, as a definition of success is I just unsubscribed years ago to um, the idea that you have to do things that are miserable um, in order to feel good later. Um, like in retirement or in heaven or, um, yeah. it, you know, at some later date, but that we're, we're here to, to be in the present and enjoy ourselves and to do that, which is, you know, gives us, gives us meaning. Yeah. I love that. So again, thank you, Jason, so much for your time and for sharing so many different topics. We jumped on like so many different topics, <laughs> but really we could go on for hours, but I just don't need to put an end to it. Um, so if people were to connect with you, how should they connect? Uh, really, the best way right now is to look me up on, on LinkedIn um, with my full name. So Jason, J-A-S-O-N, Gutman, G-O-O-T-M-A-N. That's where I have a real good profile of uh, how I work with clients. Um, it's where I post my, um, 
my wellness articles, which you've seen some, I, I commit to never writing a boring wellness article. Yeah. My articles are, are not, um, here's three healthy breakfasts. You know, as you know, they go into deeper topics. Um, people tend to find them really inspiring. Um, yeah. and all of that, all of that's on LinkedIn. Yeah, for sure. Like, honestly, when I was reading yours, it's like, it's not only do you write them, it's like, like you said, you don't tell people what to do. You kind of have more of like experiments and some theory bases and you walk through exactly what's going on in an individual's mind. So a person reads it and kind of sense, senses or really connects with your article. And, and when they connect with your article, they can connect with you as an individual as well. So I genuinely loved enjoying, enjoyed really re reading them so much. And again, Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. And I do believe that people uh, are going to get so much value from this and just more awareness. And even if, if not, just the things that you talked about would make people feel much better and feel okay not to be following certain, like you said, certain strict rules, but really um, looking at food and nutrition and holistic approach, more of a... Uh, a neutral situation more of like constantly learning about yourself listening to yourself and constantly growing so yeah so thank you again for all well, that thank you again we'll have to talk more sometime because like you for said sure. there's lots for us to talk about yeah. and I, I appreciate the opportunity to to be on your podcast oh, perfect and everyone is here joining us in this episode i hope you have an amazing awesome rest of your day